0: Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Shoot the Breeze with Alexandra Marie, and I am your host, Alexandra Marie. You can find me on Instagram, Pinterest, as well as Facebook at Alexandra Marie underscore talks. That's at A L E X A N D R E M A R I E underscore talks. You can now also find my new online business. It's my new LLC that is opening up very soon. We open our website fully on November 27th at midnight. There will be a pre-launch on um, November 11th at 11, 11 p.m. So the business, um, It's called Solel Beauty Botanicals, LLC. You can find it on Instagram. You can find it on Pinterest. You can also find us on Facebook. Follow us at Solel Beauty Botanicals. So that's at S-O-L-E-I-L Beauty Botanicals. You can also get on Bing, you can get on ask.com, you can get on Yahoo search, you can also get on Google and search Solo Beauty Botanicals LLC. Um, the mailing address is located in Newark, New Jersey, so that will be me, that will be my brand, my company, and at Solo Beauty Botanicals. Healthy uh skincare and healthy scalp as well as you know a healthy mind, body and soul is our uh number one priority. I will definitely have an episode Um, about the brand and the business and everything that we do offer, I'll definitely also dive into our de Soleil initiative, which promises to give a portion of our proceeds to local nonprofits that fall in line with our initiative, which is the belief in community and, of course, black community and giving black community a voice, so again, I will have all that for you and more on my business and possibly the opportunity to win free products on an episode coming up very, very soon. But until then, let's get to our episode today, which I'm very excited about. Uh, So today... We have another fellow Haitian sister, uh, an amazing woman. I, I cannot say this enough. She is awesome. And I, I appreciate it so much. I appreciate her so much for agreeing to be on um, my show today. But before we get her on the line, I do want to apologize for a few things. One, it is raining today and what I have noticed is when it rains, the equipment and the signal becomes a bit shoddy and falls out of whack. I currently um, am looking for an audio engineer. The audio engineer I was working with we're no longer working together on this podcast. He worked on maybe about two to three episodes last season. So I am looking for a new audio engineer, but until then, I am the one that's editing as much as I possibly can, not knowing a lot. But I think I've done okay since I edit all the episodes except for probably two or three of them. Um, But I do wanna apologize for that. I also want to apologize for just being a little bit under the weather. So, my um, energy might not be there throughout the whole interview, which sucks. But I didn't want to cancel it due to weather or due to, you know, me just being a little bit under the weather um, because we have to push through. You know, she has a busy schedule, I have a busy schedule, and she already carved this time for me, and I don't want to have to reschedule because I don't know when that would be, and I do want to have this sit down with her. So without further ado, you guys, please help me bring on to the show Nadege fleury I apologize if that is not how um, we say her last name. We'll definitely ask her later on when she gets on. Um, how do you properly pronounce your um, last name? So again, welcome Nadezh Vleymond to Shoot the Breeze with Alexandra Marie. She is an entrepreneur. She is a coach. She's an author, a speaker, and a culinary creed. Once again, let's welcome Nadesh to the show.
1: Hello. Good afternoon. Hello. Good evening. <laughs> good evening. Bonsoir. Bonsoir. <laughs> How are you, Alexandre? Sorry, I'm putting you through so much torture.
2: No, 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 no. You know what? This app is just, but it's easier sometimes to use this app than to call and have someone put it on speaker. Then you hear the echo. It's
1: so not I was here. just about to, to ask you, do you hear that little f- feedback when you're
2: speaking? Uh, using this app? No, not really. Unless um, like just- someone on the other end, like your phone might get that feedback.
1: Just now I'm hearing like a little, like, everyone, while, while only while you're speaking. I don't know if you hear it when I'm speaking.
2: No, it's probably the, um, the microphone. It's attached to my shirt. And then I have my
1: headphones. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Very well. <laughs> so you hear me fine. Yes, I hear you perfectly well. Okay, sounds good. Thank you so much for having me.
2: No, thank you. All right, you guys, like I said in the intro, now I don't want to like chop up her name, even though I asked her how to pronounce her name earlier, but we have the amazing Nadege Fleurimont, right? Nadege Fleurimont. Fleurimont. Okay, there we go. There we go. (laughs) There we go. You know what, you guys? I grew up knowing only five French Creole last names, no lie, and we know what they are, right? We have Pierre, we have Jean, uh, Jean we have um, what is the other one? We have Batiste, Canto, we have Baptiste of some Batiste. sort. Um, you know, like I guess I only knew three. Oh, Joseph, <laughs> Joseph. So and then we have Joseph.
1: i forget how to properly pronounce my name half the time because i'm so used to saying that there's florimond even though your name don't change so i'm making an effort to kind of say my Mm -hmm. name the way i guess my parents intended it to be but even i sometimes i'm like i can't roll my r's like that But you know, growing up, there was only four or five Hish in
2: last name. So when they heard your name, they're like, "What? What? Well,
1: even yeah, they're, they're God not like, <laughs> <laughs> Surprise! 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 Ooh, thank wow! You so much for having me. I I appreciate the 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 time, and I'm looking forward to the discussion. Oh, man, I
2: appreciate you being on here. I'm looking forward to picking your brain, interviewing you, knowing a little bit more about you. But before we start all of that, why don't you let our listeners just know a little bit about you?
1: Okay. For those of you that hearing this raspy, crazy voice for the first time, (laughs) the name is indeed Nadege Fleurimont, and I am a... I'd like to say a culinary curator of sorts in New York. I run a catering company. That's mainly what I'm known for. I've done that for 18 years in New York City, but I cater all throughout the tri-state. I also have uh, three cookbooks, but cookbooks that also tell stories. Uh, One is titled Taste of Life, a culinary memoir. Uh, Second one is Haiti Uncovered. A Culinary Adventure in the Art of Haitian Cuisine, my proudest project ever, because I traveled throughout Haiti over the course of a year to learn about the cuisine, because I wanted to present the traditional food, but also mm-hmm. tell the story of Haiti through a food-inspired lens. And then my third book, which just uh, was just released about a month ago, called Taste of Solitude. It was me cooking my way through the COVID pandemic, and... The lessons that came out of that experience. So all that to say, in my writing, I try to use food as a tool to connect, as a tool to build community, as a tool to engage people in in in, in communities to have uh, different conversations. And I always say, I guess I create my impact through these food projects whether it's my catering company the events that I curate or the books that I write the ultimate mission is to show people uh, that they can pretty much go after their dreams and passions um, just like I've been able to do live my uh, my live out my passion out loud I like to say and make a living out of it and I think sometimes being Haitian descent we're oftentimes discouraged from doing that. So I try to push back on that. So that's what right. I do with all the things that I do.
2: <laughs> we, we know about that. I've had a few patients on here. And surprisingly enough, none of them are nurses and doctors. And I asked them this question that I'm about to ask you. So how did your parents feel about you choosing the culinary arts rather than, you know? Being a nurse or a
1: doctor or a lawyer. A complete waste of time. I'm wasting my life, of course. (laughs) I remember telling my dad, well, dad, Martha Stewart, started off as a kid. He's like, oh, but Martha Stewart, you're not Martha Stewart, you know? So Mm -hmm. um, we really come from a culture or a society that really gives value to those non-doctor, lawyer, engineer professions. But at the same time, you can also understand why we do come from a country Those were the people that thrived, right? They did not see Mm -hmm. a window dresser that was successful. They did not see models that were rich. They did not see people that were using creativity to earn living and that were okay. So they wanted us to get into these traditional professions because they wanted security for us. I tell young people all the time, your parents don't hate you. It's because they love you. They want you to be a nurse or a doctor because they want you to be secure. But at the same time, though, understanding that, the the flip side of that is we also have to be brave enough to stand against that, right? We have Mm -hmm. to be brave enough to be like, well, uh, this doesn't work for me. But even beyond that bravery, we also have to put in the work to make sure that these talents and skills and passion lives the passionate lifestyles we want to live that we really create the structures and the systems around ourselves to be successful in them right Go, you may want to be a basketball player but it's not just about shooting a ball Kobe still right. practice eight hours a day you know Michael Jordan still practice you still have to work on the skill set of the talent mm-hmm. that you have. So I think it's twofold. One, the bravery of pushing, you know, against the family because it, it takes courage, right? It takes courage right. because we don't know what the outcome will be. So when you have people, I have a political science degree from Columbia University. So my whole family was like, wait, you went to an Ivy League and what? manger like you're cooking <laughs> right? Like, how is this even possible, right? So to them, that's an automatic failure, right? So you have to be able to be like, wow, I have to be able to, you know, to, to, to push back on that Two, mm-hmm. You really don't have the full answer of the outcome We're entrepreneurs at the end of the day, success may be overnight, but sometimes it takes 15, 20, 30 years. Mm-hmm. Right. So are you ready and willing to weather that storm sometimes, um, And I was thinking today as I was like driving, and I was like, wow, I think I finally reached a point where I'm no longer in a rush. Like I'm thoroughly just enjoying the process because as much accolades that I've received, as much successes, and I put that in quotation marks that I've gotten, I don't feel inside, you know, that I've made it because I'm like, there's still so much more I want to do. And then you also feel like there's this time. And I'm like, who created this timeline? So I said to myself, I was like, wow, I think I'm finally no longer in a rush, but I am committed to do my all each and every day. And to the extent that I am doing that, I'm okay with not necessarily proving people wrong by being the next Oprah <laughs> or my family, you know, like, to show them because of course there's an element of us right we want to show them right right but it it stopped being about that
2: right trust me i understand what none of
1: no one none of my siblings
2: are nurses or doctors wow so. <laughs> yeah and i'm sure you guys hear it right <laughs> oh i heard it when i told my mom I wanted to be a lawyer well when I was younger I was I did exceptional work with science and math and my doctor was, well, I mean, not my doctor, my grandfather was pushing, you know, my uh, mom said, pushing, pushing, be a doctor, be a doctor, be a doctor, like, that's what you're good at, that's what I see in you, be a doctor. You know, you give them a nice neck massage, what do they mm-hmm. think? Oh, you have the, you have the skills, mm-hmm. you can do this. No. And then I, I told my mom I don't want to do. That. I want to be a lawyer. She's like a lawyer. No, 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 well, Lawyers why? are Your, li- your
1: mommy can't even had something against being a lawyer.
2: Yeah, because she, she believes there were liars. <laughs> I know one of the few Haitian moms that are like, no, no, no. I don't want you to be a lawyer because they lie, they, they cheat, they steal. You know, I don't want that. Anyway, I went, got a business degree. I don't even do that anymore. I was in retail management for a very long time. I changed my whole profession and everything like that about two years ago. And now I'm a behavioral therapist. So I'm not doing any of the things they want me to do anyway. Mm-hmm. And, you know, podcast host and doing other things, entrepreneurs. So <laughs> they're fine. Yeah. I'm fine. They,
1: they'll, always, they'll always be okay. Okay. <laughs> So why did you decide to become a shop, though? I mean, I don't think I may, ever made a specific decision. Quite frankly, I think I was just good. Like I never had a specific career that I wanted. I think I always knew mm-hmm. I could have been a doctor, not to brag because I did well in school. I did well in every subject. I was. I took mm-hmm. chemistry, I did well. I took bio, I did well, you know? Like you know, uh, these classes, I was always good in school. So to me, a specific profession was never based on, like, how I was doing in school. And then, so I just thought I could be anything. So at one point, yes, I did want to be the doctor because that's what I heard growing up. By the time I graduated high school, I was like, oh, I'll be a lawyer because I'm such an analytical thinker. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, my God, now there's you make up great lawyer and I was like actually I really would right because <laughs> I did a lot of men for something and it was my argument that was the convincing argument you know so mm-hmm. little thing so I was like oh I would make a great lawyer. even till this day I'm like my secret dream is to go to law school but I don't want to practice so I'm like it's <laughs> that thing that I'm gonna do and I don't have anything else to do but I don't know at what point that will be right right so, but for the longest time it was like Okay, I'm going to the lawsuit because I would be good at it. That's what everybody says. That's what I knew. And I got to college and I started seeing business. That was the Bill Gates era. You're hearing about mm-hmm. Microsoft, Apple is on the rise. So I, I was intrigued by the whole idea of business. So then I was like, oh, maybe I'll go into corporate America. Then I was like, but this is all college. So you're finding yourself in college. That's what I, I'll tell people too like college means nothing because you still don't really know you haven't experienced anything
2: so
1: food is something that i always did i grew up with a single father who's a phenomenal cook and Mm he taught me how to cook when i was eight years old and i've been cooking for my household so it was just that thing i did his friends would come over and he i he always you kind of show me off because i was like eight nine ten and cooking for all his friends i also think like that's where probably why i'm a caterer and not a restaurant. because i think i always love that element of creating a meal for a crowd right mm-hmm. and, and, and 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 curating it for that crowd but when i got to college it was just like we hired a caterer for the haitian food association they didn't show up and i my friends were like well you you're cooking you can cook. you can cook you're good at this I did it. They paid me. And then they're like, oh, this could be a side hustle. And all my friends were like, yeah, we could hire you for the other student groups because instead of us ordering food off campus from other caterers and restaurants, we might as well hire you. One, you make the money. And two, we like your food better. So it was just kind of like a side hustle thing that just found me. And then I just kept developing it. I just kept growing in it because people loved what i did like it went from students to administrators to administrators when they were doing conferences i was cooking on campus luckily i lived on campus and i had like you know a suite so i had a kitchen but they didn't even know at the time because they thought i was like i had a legitimate company and then um those same administrators so it's like well my mother's birthday is happening can you cater all of these things and then I was like well if people think I'm a caterer I guess I am I was always bold and I think if there's anything that I can attribute anything that I accomplished to is and I think you have to take advantage of it while you're young sooner rather than later because I know I'm not as bold as I used to be I'll be as sad as it is to admit that I know now I think more but that comes with the question of, of of age right Right, and see it does. more things, but at the same time, I accomplish more faster at a younger age because I was more of a risk taker. I always joke, I was like, "You gotta throw enough doodoo on the wall to see what sticks." Right.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, in my youth, if I thought it, I did it. If it didn't work, oh well, you know. And I think you have to have a little bit of that in you. So, food found me because I was good at it, but then I also started slowly through it, I was able to start seeing what my true calling was, which is building community, building people, uplifting people. So it's not that I would just cater for people's events. I also started like, wow, food is an opportunity for me to educate about Haiti. Food is an opportunity for me to do a brunch around women's empowerment. Food is an opportunity for me to create conversation and around gender, around different things. So I just like, oh, so food is just a tool, you know? The ultimate purpose and mission and impact that I wanna make is to empower people to see their full potential that is possible. And I'm just, hopefully they could see my life as an example of that. But at the very least, I can use this tool, this gift, this talent, that God has given me, I can use it to be able to share these important messages that I think that's worth sharing. So I cooked, people kept hiring me. I cooked, I was like, let me write a book. I cooked, I started, you know, creating programs around food. I did a youth cooking classes, youth uh, entrepreneurship development things around food career. So it just became about food, food was always there. And then I just kept using it to kind of like touch on all the things that I always wanted to touch upon. Okay. So did you go to culinary school? I did not. I did not because I, what I, like I mentioned, I studied political science and I graduated in 2003. And I remember going, which school is it? It's, it's by like was it Metropolitan College or something? But, anyways, it's on Sixth Avenue by Canal Street. And I remember going there. This is in New York. I don't know where you're based, but I'm in New York. And I oh I remember New York. <laughs> <laughs> because you're Haitian, you say it's New York. New Everything York. over here is New York. <laughs> it's New York. So yeah. So I remember going. I was I'm about to graduate and I was like, oh, I should go to culinary school because. I've been catering. Everybody loves it. I I need to become a chef. And then they told me $60,000 for some certificate program. I was like, wait, I just got like a four-year education. (laughs) Left (laughs) in the new flesh, I'm like, what? This much money for? Right. I was like, and then when I started to seriously sit down and think about it, I was like, I always knew that I was, as much as I love food and I'm a great. Because technically I don't know if I could call myself a chef because even though I'm called chef because I think professionally I've done a lot in the cook scene, and the mm-hmm. food scene but I'm not formally trained so then those formally trained chefs, they're like Nazis too, so <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: like Nazi. Oh I believe it they're very
1: competitive you know, oh, they're, I know. They're, so they're like Nazis so they may say oh you can't claim, you know, being a chef because you're not formally trained but I always knew that me Elevating within the ranks of a kitchen space was not what I really cared about. I cared about learning, though. I did want to learn, so I did take courses in different places and and develop in that way. Because I was always a self-learner. I'm very self-motivated. So Mm -hmm. as soon as I think of something, trust me, I'm on YouTube University learning about it. Dissecting it, I'm getting books about it.
2: That's that Haitian ancestry
1: right there. Yeah. So I was so when I thought about it, I was like, I'm not paying this much money because I, I'm, I always knew I wanted to be more of a business person more than I wanted to be a chef per se. You know, I always knew Mm -hmm. that I love food, but I don't think I was as passionate about food as much as I was passionate about what I can use food for. Does that make sense?
2: Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. You're using it as a tool. Like many of us use, you know, side hustles or things within our careers as tools to help us elevate to something that we really want to do. So tell us about your catering business.
1: Like I said, that one just grew again. It just grew from one This is pre-social media in the sense that social media wasn't as big. This is 2003. And it just grew from word of mouth. And and then, like I said, pure uh, Haitian hustle uh, Mm -hmm. uh, instinct. Uh, I was posting on Craigslist. I started getting, like, all these non-Haitian clients. Funny enough, I learned to cook Haitian food, but I was always innovative in how I cooked. So... My clientele initially was not Haitian at all. My very first few years of catering were not Haitian. Other than the Haitian student club at school, I I catered for Dr. Oz, I catered for BET, I catered for all these institutions that were not Haitian. So what did you make them? Well, because again, this is why I tell people, go to school. Don't go to school necessarily just to learn. Yes, learning is great. It's an education, but it's a network as well. That's what other communities use it for, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's a network. So the same kids that were serving for me on campus were the same kids when they got their law jobs or law firm jobs or analyst jobs at these big companies. They were the same ones calling me like, "Yo, I know Cater," and those referrals would come through, and then I'd co- go out and actually do my thing. So school provided a great network, but beyond mm-hmm. the network. I think what school also does, it's just kind of like the person, if you look at uh, clothing designers, like you'll see some of them have background in architecture, right? Right. Hello? Hi, I have no idea what happened. I'm going to blame
2: (laughs) it on the rain.
1: (laughs) Let's blame it on the rain.
2: (laughs) Blame it on the rain. You know how signals get crazy. But you were talking about um, clothing designers and how a lot of them have other backgrounds other than fashion.
1: Yes, because I feel like when you have other kind of experiences, it makes you so much better at what you ultimately decide to do. So I always tell people, even if you want to just tie laces for a living, go to school. Because school and those different classes and those different subjects will only make you that much better. I tell people, I think the reason I have the standing I have in the food space is because I am very interdisciplinary in terms of how I approach food. Uh, I approach food from a sociological perspective. I approach it in terms of on a, on a psychological perspective. I have discussions around food in terms of every other aspects of life. So I I feel like it's the same thing with these designers. If you're an architect, the way you structure clothing is going to be different than just somebody who just studied fashion. So when you, when you go to school, when you have these different experiences and meet different people, you know, it just Mm -hmm. gives you a different way. Like I always knew I wanted to cater, but I wanted to cater differently. And, um, When when I I didn't always know I wanted to cater, but as soon as I was catering, I guess, I knew that. So, for example, when I started entering the Haitian catering scene was more like 2009, 2008, around the the recession, because corporate catering went down, which was the bulk of my business. But I was like, if I'm going to enter social catering, I would love to enter in the Haitian space, because there were not that many Haitian chefs at the time, very few. Very few were well-known, very few. And even if they weren't Haitian chefs, they weren't functioning as Haitian chefs. Most of right. them worked in country clubs or they worked in other establishments. And I'm sure many weren't women. I know a lot of
2: famous chefs that are of Haitian, and a lot of them are actually men.
1: Yes, yes, yes. So you had those two things. They weren't women. And then even the men, they weren't like Haitian, Haitian. Not, at least not around 2007, 2008, you know? Because mm-hmm. the, even among us as a community, just like we said, my my parents are not necessarily happy I'm a chef or I'm in the food business because it's not respected. So the, the same thing was said for the cuisine because we didn't, we didn't respect the cuisine as much as we do now. I don't think so. Because there was like, if you're getting married, you don't serve certain types of Haitian dishes, right? So I also was like, well, if I'm entering the catering space, I want to enter it differently. And I want to basically shift that mentality. I think what I'm trying to say is, I don't know about you, but growing up Haitians, when they were getting married, they were not trying to have Haitian food. They wanted to go to anything. Really? They were trying to go to any. Oh yes, they were having some food, you know, in, in their basement of their church, but no, if they were not- actually getting it catered, it was yeah. a catering. Excuse me?
2: No, from where I like, where I live and everything. Are the Haitians around here, they didn't want none of that. They didn't
1: want Well, that. no, that wasn't New York. New York was you wanted to go to Crest Hollow, you wanted oh. to go to Chateau you wanted to go to these catering halls. Mm-hmm. You weren't trying to serve like Haitian traditional food at your wedding. And even if you did, it would be like John in certain things. Like I remember mm-hmm. one wedding where I served my moulin, but I made it as an appetizer. And mm. I don't know, wow, you must be different, but your, was, it, <laughs> was your wedding people were show, trying to serve my moulin Ble.
2: No, not my moulin Ble. but we had, um, you know, we had Dia John, John. I don't eat pork, but there was always grillo. a grill. Yeah, yeah. Then there was the fried chicken. Then, you know, lasagna, so but the Caribbean way.
1: There's, there was levels to it. For the most part, I guess, one here, there weren't really nice catering halls. So, for the most part, yeah. when people were, were getting married, they went to a catering hall that was not Haitian. That was one. And even at yeah. events, when Haitians serve food, right, right, like woman, like you were saying. you don't serve because there's a certain like peasantry that it's associate. Right. I mean,
2: I don't know because over here like the few Haitian weddings I went to um, they fought to have their food brought in like they had the nice little hall at the Portuguese and you know the Italian spots and everything like that but like they fought we would fight to have our foods in there our djs to come in there but where i live where i grew up it was mostly like italians um portuguese and spanish people anyway so how their halls were set up is they would have their own traditional food so if you didn't want like you know portuguese food or anything like that you would get your own food. But over here, we got like a pastry, Haitian pastry. That's where all of our cakes came from, which I can't stand. The whole um, fruit in between the, I can't stand that. Um, and then the the pate. Like, it was a big thing. There's Spanish people lining up for our pates over here. Hello? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Oh, wow. But, like I was saying, I guess it is it is a bit different because I mean, growing up, I don't know if you heard, I, I grew up with a lot of like um, Portuguese, Italians, a like very Spanish area. So whenever there was a Haitian wedding, like we had our Haitian caterers and everything, and we fought for the, our foods to go in the big, you know, halls and things like that. And it was never an issue. But I always thought the Haitians in New York, you know, from what I see in TV and things like that, they were like be so proud and they would have like they would fight to have like Haitian cuisine and things in their wedding. This is baffling. I didn't know this.
1: No, I think it was only very specific. Like I said, people who had smaller, more mom and pop weddings had Haitian food. I'm not gonna lie. And I say mom and pop, people that had things in churches or smaller event venues. But now, you, people are actually paying more to have a Haitian caterer because they're doing these laws, these Manhattan events, these second-generation Haitian kids. They're more fighting. At least that's what I've been in the business 18 years. That's what I've noticed. Um, mm-hmm. I find that it's now that you will see Haitians are like, oh, because, because like I said, now because chefs are showing out, that you can present things elegantly. Because I think there was this thing that our cuisine, and it's not just Haitian, every immigrant group has this as well. Right. A lot of times too, like um, that a lot of times that, you know, you couldn't do our food. Like if you had the traditional wedding, even the Ni- Nigerians and Ghanaians, that's the trend now. That's why Munaluchi bride and these magazines and sites are so popular. hmm Hello. Hello. Oh Lord,
2: (laughs) this is crazy! I must ask, what phone do you have? I have an iPhone ten. See the iPhone—that's what it is. It's your iPhone. It's your Apple people. Yes,
1: it's your Apple. (laughs) Your Apple people understand. Apple person. I bought an iPhone because there was this there was this uh live stream camera that came out called the Mevo about three three years ago. So I was I switched because it was only available. On on iPhone, I don't really like the iPhone. It's just now that I have it, I'm always getting it, but I don't like it. I'm an Android girl. <laughs> oh, okay, we still sisters. We still sisters. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> that must be why. <laughs> but, uh, so I'm and my phone is always ringing. So I'm wondering if it's because when someone calls me, even though I have it on Do Not Disturb,
2: girl, I don't know. Mine is on Do Not
1: Disturb, <laughs> and even
2: when someone rings, it doesn't break off unless i don't have it on do not to serve but either way either way we were discussing on um how haitian cuisines were not in weddings and now they're starting to be in weddings because of the millennials you're starting to see that like millennials yeah the
1: won. millennials are generation and i would say like mm-hmm. you know, people that are like 35 and like 40 and under really there was a really push because that generation started seeing the whole super duper um david tatura type of weddings right Right. they wanted to have those types of weddings but with a haitian flair Mm -hmm. as opposed to they were just having the weddings that their parents had that had haitian food no they wanted the 60,000, 100,000, 200,000 weddings, mm. but with a Haitian flair. And that's what I started seeing. I did not see that growing up, you know? Right. Like that. So for me, so I think, like I said, but for me though, in catering, it was also not just about Haitian food. The type of Haitian food was very important to me as well, because I wanted us to understand that food is culture, it's tradition, it's heritage. It's mm-hmm. lineage, it's conversation. It's not a, oh, I don't eat ble because I'm I have money, so I'm not eating it. There's a lot of Haitians have a lot of complexes around food. You know, black people have a lot of complexes around a lot of things. Let's not get it twisted. If anybody knows Haitians or grew up in Haiti, or even if you grew up in the US around Haitians, you mm-hmm. do, you will admit that there are certain stigmas that exist around the cuisine and types of food, who eats it. I don't eat bleh. Yes. Mm-hmm. Not me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you're very different. Ask, yes. ask people around you. <laughs> ask people, like, ask any old Haitian people about, like, right. like, maimoulin. Ask about mm-hmm. them about bleh. Ask them about certain, you know, types of foods. They'll tell mm-hmm. you, you know, I'm right. In that kind of stuff. You were born here.
2: Right, I was. My mom has been here for pretty much as long as I've been here almost over 30 something years so
1: yeah
2: um so I don't I don't
1: know I don't know all that so, for, so yeah I think for me like I said it was kind of like having those kind of conversations like oh you can serve you know if food is your culture it's your event I mean like I was catering uh, not too long ago 2 years ago I was catering an event in in um Dumbo in Brooklyn and it was a Haitian and a Trinidadian the Trinidadian girl actually wanted to serve smoke herring and Mm -hmm. maimule because she grew up eating it it wasn't even on the Haitian side of it right she wanted to eat that because she was like oh I love the presentation how you let the maimule harden you cut it up into little flower shapes and then you tap it with the with the smoke herring the I so she wanted to her mother Trinidadian was very upset she almost said she threatened not to come to the wedding because why are this kind of food at a wedding, they were upset that she wanted to serve snappers because a wedding should have salmon. What? This is a, this is a real discussion, so it's not just with us. That's people really? really have certain perceptions of what con- what constitute class, what constitute proper.
2: Wow, you're really you're, you're really schooling me on this. I did not know that there's such you know an issue. And the, the crazy thing is, if you go to like a wedding let's say like because I've been to Portuguese weddings. Like, yeah, they have they're very, big big hauls
1: wanna show off their culture.
2: Exactly. And they have snapper. They have snapper, you know, on a nice little like that's their that's their fish. A lot of they don't really do the salmon a lot of the time. No,
1: most people don't do salmon. That's what I'm saying. It's gonna <laughs> vary from family to family too, I think. All because right. I think based on people's own insecurities their own upbringing because yeah Haitian will love to serve snapper because we reveal snapper, mm-hmm. we, snapper. we ain't serving no tilapia at a wedding right but we'll serve <laughs> <laughs> well, I ain't doing the no mercury tilapia you can you keep know, that <laughs> you know so yeah so it's gonna vary but for me i just wanted to dismantle and have those conversations and show people that food is good it's memory it's what connects you to your childhood like, I did, like, a one event. I did a gala, and I served, like, a... I put, like, grill and, like, all the free thai stuff in a wheelbarrow, you know? Like, this very mm-hmm. really pretty pink wheelbarrow. Because I just wanted to show people, like, hey, listen, if whatever food is what you make of it, you know? The value you give it is the value that other people are going to give it as well. So we need to start having this conversation and... Uh, uh, respecting our food so other people can respect it as well. Because I see Haitian chefs even to this day, they have conversations around like the advancement of the cuisine. Other Black diaspora chefs are having the same conversations. But for me, the foundation of all of it starts with us. Like, what kind of reverence do we give our cuisine? Are we speaking about it in different spaces? And to you know, in, how do we speak about it? Mm. And so I think those are the things that's going to move it forward when one, the story around it is good. The taste, we know that the taste is damn good. Right. We know that. So it's a matter of introducing others to it, but how do you package that? How you do it is also going to be very important.
2: Right. So this series is about wonder women and women that, you know, have that boss mentality, wonder woman qualities. Um, So as women, we often get lost and stuck in the past, you know, due to lack of self-worth and self-motivation. Where do you find your motivation?
1: Uh, I, I think in a way, I guess half of it is, I think there is an innate drive that I have. You know, I think I'm lucky in that sense because I've always, you know, wanted to do better and be better I think there's that component I think there's the component of just being Haitian I always go back I was like you know it's hard for me to speak in any space and not mention that because I do think there is kind of like you know I see there's the saying like ever since Obama you know became president always like I'm my ancestors wildest dream right I do think I hold that to a high degree. I I respect that statement because I think we are. I think we owe it to the sacrifices of our ancestors, but also our immediate parents, right? Mm -hmm. Those people that we know what it is they envision for us. I do think we come from a culture of, 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 of greatness. And for the most part, most of our parents want, the world for us. They wanted so much for us. And I think whether it's to escape dictatorship, escape poverty, escape whatever, if you are here in this country, pretty much from anywhere, you're here for a certain opportunity for right. the most part. So I feel like I owe it to that lineage to continue that and do that. So I think these are my whys. And then I think, like I said, just I do believe that We all have a higher calling and I have a purpose and there's an impact that I came here to make. So when I think of these things for me to do them, that requires a certain level of consistency, that requires a certain level of discipline. So when I don't feel like it, when I don't want to, when I have no desire, I have to look at these whys and pull from within and be like, okay, You don't want to send out this proposal, but if you don't, you know, you're not going to get this contract. You don't get this contract. Yeah, it's not just about that money. The money you're not getting is also you not being able to help the people you want to help. You having the access you want to have so you could do what you want to do. Right. So I'm always replaying these things. So I think if there's a place like in my motivation and drive is my why, you know, I'm very clear. And I think we all have to do that inner work and sit down with ourselves so we know what is it that we contribute in the world because that's what's going to carry you on those days when you don't want to go on. So tell me about a difficult
2: situation and how you handled it.
1: Difficult situation? I think there's been tons of difficult situation. I think (laughs) COVID-19...
2: Well, let's talk about COVID-19. Yeah, i have you been handle, handling oh, COVID-19.
1: I've been my keeping myself definitely <laughs> a, a difficult situation for many of us. I still think in certain regards, you know, depending on what we made of it, there's still a lot that can be learned and positive that can be taken from it. But I think being in the event space, it was difficult because pretty much most of my businesses were canceled. I do real estate you know, I'm a investor and I'm a realtor. So that business was on hold. I run my catering company. Events were on hold. I had clients charging back credit cards, losing their mind, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was a very, very precarious space and it was a very scary space. I do tours. I do culinary tours. Those events were canceled because we couldn't travel. So I really was at a place like, oh my God, I Everything is canceled, like what am I going to do? But at the same time, I think pulling in from within and really understanding, like, you know what? Most of what the power we have is not external, it's from within. Um, I I I I pulled through with that belief and just really pulled from within myself and asked myself, let's just say these things really did do not come back what am I going to do? And then there was a moment of panic, but then for the most part, it was calm because I was like, well, I built these things. I created them. So whatever it is that I was able to do within that space where I did these things, I can always do something else. And right. that I got the strength. I, 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 I turned on my phone. I, I started cooking in my house by myself and connecting to people on social media
2: and mm-hmm. a book came out
1: of it. An apron line came out of it, you know? And it wasn't really because I set out to, because I didn't set out to write a book. I just knew that, you know what? I needed the cooking therapy, <laughs> right? And the yes. comfort. But I also knew that other people needed the comfort too. And then like I always tell you, and I've been saying the last two um, minutes we've been speaking is that ultimate why and my ultimate reason that I do I want to impact people the best and most positive way that I can. So I knew it was a difficult time and I wanted to do my part to offer something good. Even if it was, and it was a simple thing, because all I did was turn on my camera, laugh like I usually laugh, and share Mm -hmm. my authentic self. But I just knew that at the end of the day, we were all going through this thing, and then that connection was my contribution and it helped so many people and i was able to come out with a book out of it and people supported it and i guess magic happened from there so i think all difficult situation is as cliche as it sounds but it really is true is it's all a matter of not like what is happening is what you do with what's happening that's right that's right So, is there a chef you admire the most? Who and why? Funny enough, my biggest, uh, the people that I admire the most, like I said, I feel like cooking is a part of what I do, but so not the bulk of what I do, right? When I think Mm. of the person I admire the most, it's not even a... I mean, she's real, but I've never met her. It would be Maya Angelou. I admire Maya Angelou because I started reading her at such a young age. And I say this because I'm very strong-willed. I'm very like self-whatever assured. And I'm very much about crafting and creating myself. But I have to say that when I started reading Maya Angelou, I read her started reading her by autobiographies. I was 10 years old. Have the stuff I didn't even understand, but I they hit me. And the stuff I did understand, I know how they impacted me. And there was such a level of authenticity that existed in her writing and how she viewed herself, you know? Uh, and, and, And the experiences she had that she was both vulnerable and strong at the same time. And I admired that quality because I think that is the only way to be authentic is because my friends used to have this perception of me because I am that person. It's like, yeah, I'm leading. I'm like, okay. I'm like I scream once and then I throw some I, I find a t shirt, wrap it up, and I keep going, right? So they what I see it. <laughs> I'm a true Haitian in that way, right? Just wrap right. up and keep going. So I think they mistook that for a long time, like as that person who's like who just who like you know, like like you're you're just you know, you you don't care or you don't feel or right. you don't feel, you don't feel. Right. I don't think it was a matter of that, but I think they can coexist, right? You can experience mm-hmm. pain, you can experience joy, you know, it doesn't mean, you don't mm-hmm. have to let one swallow you completely. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's true because I noticed sometimes, you know, if something bad is happening, we let it consume us and it swallows all the goodness around us. As opposed to when we were saying like, yes, this is a bad thing. It's a bad day. It's a bad moment. It's a bad experience, but there's still so many joys. And I think I got that from Maya Angelou. So I think I always go back to her more so than an Oprah, who I admire greatly. You know, my dad, who's been a phenomenal force in my life chefs like i said i don't really i don't have tv i don't follow that many chefs you know um Mm -hmm. and stuff like that but i think i just admire people that are true to who they are and that really want to invoke the greatest amount of good that they can in the world and i think she was one of those people
2: to definitely, definitely was. So, what is your favorite cuisine to cook, and why?
1: Ooh, favorite cuisine? I mean, again, I, of course, I think I love f- fusion. Is what I would say is my safe place, and I say fusion in the sense, and I say fusion anchored in Haiti. I grew up cooking Haitian food, but I think having grown up in America. I've been impacted so much by the culture and the different scenes of the world. And that's why I wrote Taste of Solitude because I was like, I'm not writing another Haitian cookbook because I did that with Haiti Uncovered. I wanted to write a book that was more about like what I like to cook, which was like, I love a paella. I want to make a paella my way. I love the good chicken sandwich. I want to make it my way. I love a frittata. I want to make it my way. I love French toast. I'm going to make it my way. So I think that's really my way of cooking is I cook with what I have. I learned that from my dad, you cook with what's in your house. So that's why even if it's not for cookbooks, I would not have recipes because on any given day, I could be making anything. So last question to close the discussion. How do you
2: define success?
1: I think success is living. It's multi-layered, but mainly, I would say, definitely living in your truth. Um, uh, and doing your very best with what you have, exactly where you are. You know, I don't think success That's is that. a destination. I really do believe it's a journey. I think, and to the extent that you make the most out of that journey then you've lived a successful life. Now, at the end of that, you may have a certain monetary amount that, you know, speaks to that. Um, You may have certain accolades or recognition, but I always tell people, there is, it's rare that you will find someone who who is doing those things, who knows they're living, doing the very best they can with whatever resources they have and being truthful with who they are, that feels Mm -hmm. unsuccessful. It's rare. I mean, we all have imposter syndrome, especially as women, right? We always think we're better. We're overachievers. We're Haitian. But I think for the most Mm -hmm. part, there is a certain level of peace and contentment that exists once you're doing those things
2: i agree and that that was church for (laughs) y'all right i didn't see that being your truth so it's kind of cool so my you know that's
1: church for y'all Stop trying to be fake it (laughs) it really is like the fakeness don't work because like they all say at some point you're gonna forget you're like what was this i said i was (laughs) right no you gotta gotta keep it real
2: but thank you so so much for carving out time in your busy schedule for me I'm so so blessed.
1: Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate so, it. So,
2: of course, anytime. So, before you leave, please tell everyone where they can link up with you, find you, follow you.
1: Okay, I am all over the interwebs at Nadège Fleuriem. That's N A D E G E F L E U R I M o n d as in david.com now there's instagram facebook linkedin.com you find me and then you could also if you want any of my products my books or my books or i have a t-shirt line called professional (laughs) ipav and Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know you can find all our products on my website which is warriorshop.com that's r o a r i-o-r shop.com or just go to my nadezhflormand.com page and you can link there but I look forward to connecting with you more Alexan.
2: oh me too you're, you're teaching me so much I mean whenever the universe decides to bless me in marriage you know if you don't mind cold winter weddings <laughs> oh,
1: so nice.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's my kind of wedding and I got you I got you Alright, thank you so much and have a blessed night. Bye bye.
1: Bye bye.
0: To all my amazing wonder women out there, you are stronger than you believe, and you have greater powers than you know. Stay blessed.